The following podcast may contain mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, what's going on, man? How are you guys doing, man? This is Glenn Think Stuff Podcast, man. <laughs> hey, what is happening in your world today, people of the world? This is Glenn, and welcome to my podcast. Like I said, in my heavy voice, in my tamachong voice. What's going on? It's the end of another week, and here we are recording a podcast. Usually, I record this podcast on a pretty tight schedule because I have limited resources when it comes to time. And so I'm really driven and motivated. And on top of the days that I need to record and the times that I need to record because I have like this window that I have to get it in or I'm not going to get it in. So I was supposed to record um, a podcast yesterday, but I wasn't done thinking about what I wanted to think about. And I was actually talking to people about something that I want to talk about today. And so it just happened to work out that tonight I had a little bit of time to myself to where I could record tonight. So that's totally awesome. That's radical, dude. So I'm psyched about that. I'm really excited about today's podcast. I'm really excited. I'm totally stoked because I don't know the last time that I was this excited about, I guess, the topics that I want to talk about today because I've really been thinking about this stuff for days on end, some of it. And it's just thrilling. It's a thriller. This is what it is. Oh, before I get into the podcast and play my little intro music, I wanted to tell you guys about something that I saw today that was, it just cracked me up. It was just funny. And it doesn't take much to crack me up because I'll always laugh. I'll laugh at stuff. Sometimes when I just think about funny things, it just makes me laugh. So today I was walking and I saw this car and it had a homemade handicap sticker on the car, right? Homemade. And it wasn't in a handicap spot. And I know for a fact that this person is not handicapped. Or they would have like a real handicap sticker. And I'm not slamming people with fake handicap stickers or fake handicaps. <laughs> the last thing I want to do at Glenn Thinks the Podcast is get boycotted by handicapped people. <laughs> um, I guess I could run. But... So I saw that and it just cracked me up because I was like, why do you even have that? You know, like you have that so you can park in handicapped places and get a good parking spot. But like if anybody looks into like how legitimate that is, any cop, like you'll fool a cop, you know, I guess that that person just is like, well, people aren't going to care. You know, like he tried. At least that was a good effort. I'm going to let it go. You know, I don't know. It was just something funny that I saw today. Fake handicap sticker. But I'm excited. It's the end of a week. I feel like a busted ashtray when it's full. You know, like not a fresh, clean ashtray for my smoking listeners. I'm not a smoker. I quit a couple years ago, but you know how ashtray just gets full of cigarette butts and it's just dirty and busted. That's how I feel right now. But the the excitement that is in my soul over the stuff I want to tell you about today 
It overpowers that, people. It overpowers that like a mother. So let's get into it. And I'm going to tell you all some cool things that I'm thinking about, man. That's a great way to start. It just sets the tone. It sets the bar low. So I don't have that much to live up to. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Man, this week I bit my tongue, right? So I was eating gummy bears. Like I talk about gummy bears. I don't just sit around eating candy all the time. So don't think that if you want to think that. If you want to picture me always eating candy. Oh, sugar mouth over here. Then you can totally picture me like that. It doesn't bother me at all. But I I put a bunch of gummy bears in my mouth at one time. And I guess that I was so excited to get these things in my mouth that I started chomping down like a wild man on these gummy bears. And I bit my tongue. And I can't remember the last time that I bit my tongue this bad, badly. I can't remember the last time that I bit my tongue this badly. But, like, I drew blood. Like, it really, like, out of the left side of my tongue, like, it took a chunk out. And it wouldn't quit bleeding, right? And I was like, I was like, you bit my tongue. And, you know, I was telling people about it because it was sore. I was like, yeah, I bit my tongue, man, bad. And they were like, why did you do that? And I was like, I don't know. I guess I thought that it was food. But, so that's bothering me a little bit. But I'm all good. It's not that bad. I don't even know why I told you that. I just thought it was funny that I thought my tongue was food this week. (laughs) All right. I got something cool to talk to you people about today. And I want to start it out. And this is going to be like a little bit darker of a podcast. All right. And I apologize ahead of time. That's not intentional. Like I don't sit around. I really don't. I don't know. As far as the preparation goes for this podcast, this is how it works, right? I'll brainstorm about stuff that I want to talk about, but it's like thoughts that I'm having, right? It's not like I'm, I don't know. I don't really talk about topics that I'm not interested in. Sometimes there's topics that, you know, that aren't that, not that interesting to me, but they're, they're, actually thoughts that I've had but this week is really awesome and but the bad thing is is it's kind of a darker podcast right but it's very interesting I think that you'll be interest, interested in what I have to say I hope that you will um, I find this stuff interesting and I hopefully I can make you laugh a couple times at least at least a couple times because I want to take People out of the grind. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? Do you understand my words, sucker? All right. So the first thing that I want to talk about is something that I thought about. And um, it has something to do with Siamese twins or conjoined twins. Whatever one of those, you know, you want to picture and what I'm talking about. And I think that this all kind of came to me and I started thinking about it. Because I recently finished the new Netflix of American Horror Story, right? The cult, um, the cult 
season. And I really wasn't a huge fan. Like, I really, I didn't think it was that great, you know. And to me, American Horror Story is either really love the the season or I'm just kind of like, meh, you know. And my favorite, um, my favorite seasons of American Horror Story was the first season, House. It was pretty good. You know what I mean? It was pretty good. Um, let's see. I liked Asylum. That might be my favorite is Asylum. And Freak Show was pretty good. And a lot of people didn't like Hotel, you know, but I really dug Hotel. A lot of people were critical of Lady Gaga's performance on Hotel. And I thought that that was a solid season of American Horror Story. Um, it referenced H.H. H. Holmes, and I'm a big H.H. H. Holmes. Um, I'm really interested in H.H. H. Holmes. So that I might be partial, you know. But, um, but those are the seasons that I really enjoyed. Well, in Freak Show, there was like a two-headed lady, right, in Freak Show. And I forgot the actress's name. She's in the, all the seasons of American Horror Story. But it was phenomenal, like the performance that she gave. And um, because she was both the heads, she had to act and play. And so I think that's what got me thinking about Siamese twins. Well, the next thing that I thought about, and I've been thinking about this for days and days and days, and I actually um, put something up on Twitter a couple days about it because I was thinking about it. And I just wanted to kind of start a conversation with people about it. And this is the this is the scenario that I want you to think about while I'm talking, right? Okay, so you have these two Siamese twins, um, or conjoined twins. Let's just say they're conjoined twins, all right? And they're sitting at a bar, right? And um, they're just... One of them is just drinking and minding his own business, okay? And the other conjoined twin is sitting there and arguing with a man at the bar beside him, right? Okay? And the one that's arguing with the man beside him randomly, just out of nowhere, pulls out a gun, shoots, and kills the person that he's arguing with, okay? Like a random act, Okay, here's the question. How can the police arrest the guilty party without putting the innocent party in jail, right? So I was thinking about that, and as soon as I thought about that, I was like, what? <laughs> like, you can't put an innocent person in jail. You can't punish an innocent person was my first reaction. Like, you just can't do that. You know, how would this work? You know, and then I thought about like I've talked to a few people on uh on Twitter about it and and people were bringing new angles to it and different things to think about to it and like if they murdered someone and they both have the same DNA so if they murdered so if if a Siamese twin or a conjoined twin murdered someone at like a um like to where there weren't any witnesses at all and it was like a single gunshot wound. You know that one pulled the trigger. You can't prove 
that the other one went along with it. Yeah, they might be able to be charged as like an accessory um, to it, but I don't see how they could catch the same charge or how how a prosecutor could prove that they weren't trying to, you know, go against the other conjoined twin, right? Especially, I mean, they would have time to get their story right, you know, because they're always together. You couldn't separate them. And um, so I just thought that was really, really interesting. And so that's what I've been thinking about this week. And I just don't know how it would be easy to create reasonable doubt if you were a defense lawyer. Like you could create that doubt in the mind of a juror. You know, or in the mind of a judge. And I think that it would be, you know, pretty easy. Something else that I thought about is that an innocent party, if they were thrown into jail for a crime they did not commit, they could actually file a lawsuit and most likely win a lawsuit if they were wrongfully accused and in prison for something that they didn't do. The problem with that is that the guilty party would benefit from the innocent parties, you know, like if they won the lawsuit, the guilty party would benefit. And so I was thinking about this and I was like, man, this is insane. I've never, I've never, you know, I've never thought about this before. And so it was really, really interesting to me. And I actually talked to a lot of people about it. And I asked one woman about it that I know, and she just looked at me when I asked her. She just looked at me and just was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And she just like kind of smirked and walked away, right? Well, I actually know this doctor, like this, uh, this doctor, and um, I asked him about it just to, just like an educated mind, you know, because I'm, I know that you think Glenn's probably a doctor just by the way that he talks. I'm, he talks all fans of talk on his podcast. He might be a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm sorry to let you down. <laughs> but I'm a doctor of knowledge and thinking stuff. But um, so I asked this doctor what he thought about it, right? And he, he's a really thoughtful guy. And he's not quick to give opinion. You know what I mean? He's not one of those loud people that's just always talking, you know, and not really saying anything. He's a really thoughtful person. And so um, someone actually suggested that I ask this guy, you know, what he thought about it. And I asked him and he said that the guilty must be punished. And I said, yeah, dude, but check it out. What if the other party tried to stop him because the doctor came back at me and said you know you have a moral obligation as the one that's conjoined to try to stop the the other person that's trying to do the murder and i was like yeah dude but what if what if um what if he did try to do that or what if it was just random you know and this guy kind of stuck to his guns and was like was like uh the guilty must you know what did he say? The guilty must be accountable or pay for what they did. And so I was like, well, that's an interesting perspective. And I told him to keep thinking about it. And um, 
he said that he would. So hopefully he gets back to me about that because it was it's really interesting to think about this whole this whole deal. And so today, actually a couple of hours ago, in you know thinking about all right, I'm going to record a podcast. I'm going to talk about this, and it's crazy. And I'm not going into the depth, you know, that I really could with this because that's not the how my podcast works. Um, but you know, I think that I, I really want you to think about it. That's my main goal by talking about this today um, is to think about it. You know what? How? What is right? You know, and. And what I decided, as soon as I started thinking about this, um, I came to the conclusion really quickly that what it all boils down to is this. Is it more important for the guilty to pay for their crime or is an innocent man's freedom more important, right? Which one of those two things is more important? Making the guilty pay or keeping the innocent free? You know, and I figured out that in my head, that made sense to me. Like the question that I would have to ask myself, you know, in thinking about this, like that is what it all comes down to. There can be a bunch of different scenarios, but if one person is is really innocent and one person is really guilty how's that gonna work out you know and um so i google this and you know i was like i'm gonna talk about this on my podcast today i want to google it and see what's up and evidently this is not an original thought i promise you i've never heard of it before but there is stuff on the internet about this there are some interesting articles about this i read a couple of them and I'm not going to go into detail um, about those articles. I did read that it's uh, law professors like to pose this question to their students, which I thought was interesting. You know, maybe I missed my calling. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I should have been like a, a the lawyer for a sideshow or something. <laughs> you know, like I'm born after my time. I should have like been the the attorney for the freak show (laughs) but anyway in one of these articles i found an interest interesting quote and when i find a quote on the internet sometimes i'm like ah if i don't know it i'm like "Ah, i'm kind of you know slow to believe if that's real but i looked it up and it's a legitimate quote that i thought was interesting by benjamin franklin um one of the founding fathers And the quote is, and I'm reading this quote. I'm sorry, I didn't memorize it. This isn't me thinking stuff. This is Glenn Reed's stuff right now. (laughs) Benjamin Franklin actually wrote, and it was, it's from a letter to Benjamin Vaughn, March 14th, 1785. And this is a quote, Benjamin Franklin, that it is better a hundred guilty persons should escape than that one innocent person should suffer is a maxim that has been long and generally approved, right? So Benjamin Franklin said, and I mean, I'm not treating that like, oh, Benjamin Franklin said it, right? It's right after Bible, Benjamin Franklin said it. Um, But I thought that that was interesting, you know, because Benjamin Franklin was very, 
instrumental in the founding of our country and the well the united states if you're listening outside the united states benjamin franklin looked like a biker um he had a wicked you know mullet going on and he uh flew a kite and there's a key and electricity and the printing press and stuff like that and so that's what what you need to know (laughs) that's like the worst that's the worst ever explanation for who benjamin franklin was but i'm sticking to that because that's just how i feel but i thought that that was interesting that he said that because it was kind of along those same lines as i was thinking like how can you hold i mean even if you try to put the person on house arrest then what happened the other person can't leave you know the other if you restrict um the guilty party in any way if it's a conjoined twin it's just I, I don't see how the innocent wouldn't pay. And is it really right to do that, you know? And I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's not a huge problem or it would have been addressed by this point in time. And it has not. But you should totally think about that. And hit me up on Twitter at Glenn Think Stuff. Email me. Uh Stuff at Yahoo.com. Let me know, because that question baffles me. Like, how do you serve justice, you know, to a conjoined twin where one party's guilty and the other's not? So, there's that. And I was thinking, I've thought about that so much. I'm kind of tired of thinking about it. I'm kind of glad I'm doing my podcast, so maybe, you know, this is like my therapy, saying it out loud. Even though I've been talking to all kinds of people about it, it's something that I'm just like, Dude, I talked to so many people about this this week. And it's just a wild thought. It is a wild thought. So now I want to tell you about another wild thought. And it's not a thought. It's a true story. It is a true story about my past, right? And it's a personal story. And it's an embarrassing story. Man, I don't even care. Because I'm going to tell you it anyway. Because I got a light in the mood. After the conjoined twins are killing everybody. It's a bloodbath. I got to tell you something to cheer you up. Alright. So, I was when I was a kid. Like, I don't even remember uh, when I stopped wetting the bed. Right? I don't remember when that all stopped. You know, I was like any normal kid. I think. When I was real young. <laughs> And, and, you know, even after I stopped wearing whatever I wore to bed, I, you know, kids have accidents sometimes. And so this came into my mind this week and I'd forgotten about this for you. I like, I haven't thought about this sometimes in the nooks and crannies of your brain. See, this is when you'll be able to tell that I'm not a doctor. So in your brain, you have these nooks and crannies, right? And sometimes they get cobwebs and they get all musty. And every once in a while, one of those things just busts wide open and you're like, oh, yeah. And you remember something from years back that you've forgotten about. And so I haven't thought about this in years. But when I thought about it, I was like, oh, oh, that's going on the podcast for shizzle. And so um, so I thought about that this week. And this is like I was not wet in the bed anymore like on the reg when this happened 
right? So I remember this quite vividly um, because it scarred me. And I don't even want to say what age I was because I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm honestly not sure. Now, it wasn't like I was 15 years old, man. I'm sure I was young. You know what I mean? I wasn't a teenager. I wasn't an adolescent, even though that might be more hilarious, you know? But I was a child, right? And this is what happened. Like, I remember being in a deep sleep. Like, I don't remember actually being in a deep sleep. But I remember I was in a deep sleep. I had to be in a deep sleep. Because I was like, all right, I need to get up and take a leak. You know? And uh, <laughs> and so what I did was I was just kind of zombified. I was just kind of out of it. And I remember being really dazed while it was happening like I was still in a dream I got up out of my bed right I walked over to my drawer and like my drawer like my chest of drawers and I opened the drawer and there were all my clothes inside the drawer neatly folded inside the drawer is where you keep your clothes inside the drawer of your chest of drawer is where you keep your clothes and I <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I proceeded to urinate in my drawer all over my clothes, right? And and I was like in a daze. I was in a daze. I was jingle, tinkle, tinkle. I am peeing on my clothes. Tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. Human waste is everywhere. <laughs> ah, I, just, I just peed all over my clothes. Well, this is what happened. Mid, I had you like that Christmas. I'm trying to throw some. It's it's coming, people. And now I hope that you can never watch that cartoon again, without thinking about me peeing all over my clothes. <laughs> but I remember coming too. Like you know how when you get up and you're just dazed, and I was in such a deep sleep. I remember coming too, and being horrified. That I was peeing all over, like straight up yellow stream, all over these clean clothes, you know. And I remember just being like, "Oh man, this is not my finest moment." <laughs> but I mean, I don't remember what happened after. I remember, you know, getting my clothes out and being like, "Oh no!" And I don't know. I don't even remember if I attempted to. I'm sure I tried to clean it up right there. And I know, I mean, I was too young to do a load of laundry. That's how young I was. I didn't know how to do a load of laundry. And I don't remember the repercussions. I don't think that there were any repercussions, you know, because they're probably like, bless his heart. He peed in his drawer. He doesn't even know the difference between a drawer of clothes and a toilet, you know, bless him. But I mean, I don't remember if there were any repercussions. Maybe there's a mental block there, but I really don't think I had any. And that is a crazy story. And I thought that I would share it with you just because I thought about it this week. And it was just one of those things that made me laugh because it's not happened since, you know, thank God it has not happened since. But, I mean, yeah, I treated my drawer. My drawers, my drawer is what is my toilet in the night. And I will just go. I don't see how I didn't even think. You know, just I'm opening a drawer right now. 
in my room. I get out of bed and walk 10 steps and how am I at the toilet? And what is this new square toilet? What is, what's, what's that about? No, I did not have those thoughts, but yeah, true story, folks. That's why you're here to hear stuff like that. All right. Well, I'm midway through my podcast today. And before I go any farther, before I trudge on through this deal, I want to throw um, a promo in this week. And this promo is from a really cool podcast. It's the Mixed Media Forest podcast. And it's my friend Jason Lampro. And this guy... Man, this guy's just awesome. You know what I mean? He's just one of those people that's an indie podcaster. And, you know, Mixed Media Forest is like, he talks about all things media. Um, Jason's super positive. He's like the most positive person that you, you know, could ever meet in your life. Um, I wish that I could be as positive as Jason, you know, comes off in his podcast, you know. Um, but this guy is super awesome. His, his podcast is always uplifting. It's uplifting to me. Um, killer, killer stuff. And you guys should check it out. And I mean, he shouted me out on his podcast so many times and, um, he finally got a promo. And as soon as I saw that he had a promo, I was like, man, that's going in my next episode. And, uh, you guys check it out. Every day, we're surrounded by media, books, movies, art, music, games, apps, podcasts, etc., etc. With this constant bombardment, it's easy to miss great media gems in the chaos. But fret not, you've come to the right place, my friend. I'm Jason, and I love media. I invite you to check out the Mixed Media Forest podcast, the podcast where I trudge through the forests of media to find hidden gems for you, the listener. Every episode of Mixed Media Forest is chock full of fun, reviews, nostalgia, positivity, news, rants, stories, and recommendations about all things media. Again, That's the Mixed Media Forest Podcast, created on Anchor Podcasting app and available everywhere fine podcasts can be found. Give it a listen. It's what all the cool kids are doing. All right, people. So that's Jason over at Mixed Media Forest. Check him out. Show him some love. Leave him a review. Subscribe. Like. Rate. Review. Do do what you do. Do what you do. Alright, so I talked about this podcast being a little bit darker today. And this um, segment is going to be a little bit darker. I'm kind of fascinated by serial killers, but not just serial killers. Um, like old serial killers. Like serial killers from like the 18, 1900s. I like reading about them. I like... Um, I don't know, watching documentaries about them. It's just, it's really fascinating to me. And, you know, I have talked about starting a side podcast um, about true crime and about um, true crime that I'm interested in. But until then, I'll just give you the cliff notes. I'll just throw cliff notes into my podcast. And um, 
So I want to tell you about this lady named Amy Archer Gilligan today. All right. And this is a lady that I never heard of until this week. She came onto my radar because I was just reading about different serial killers. And I was trying to think about, you know, I actually started reading and researching um, one that I thought that I was going to talk about on my podcast. But I ran across Amy Archer Gilligan and her story and it really it was more interesting to me and so I just kind of scrapped what I had and went with this one and I do have a few notes on this so forgive me forgive me I tried to have minimal notes on this podcast and just rant and you know shoot from the hip <laughs> but uh shoot from the hip like a Siamese twin is what I do but uh, <clears throat> Amy Archer Gillian is a really interesting lady, and I'm going to tell you a little story right now, so checks it out. All right, Amy Archer Gillian was born in 1873 to James and Mary Kennedy Duggan in Milton, Connecticut. Amy was the eighth of ten children, all right? So she was the eighth of ten children, um, her parents were James and Mary, and James and Mary be getting busy having 10 kids. But anyway, so she was the eighth of 10 kids, all right? Now, this is something that, like a side note that I found interesting. Um, there were, is a history of mental illness in Amy's family. As her brother John became a patient at the Connecticut General Hospital for the Insane in 1902. Okay, and, and in 1902, when her brother, you know, went into the insane, or the, what's it called? The Connecticut General Hospital for the Insane in 1902. Amy was 34, and I'm kind of jumping ahead just by telling you that. Um, but I thought that it was interesting. Also, in 1930, one of Amy's sisters is recorded, I think it's in a census, um, but she is recorded to have also been a patient at this hospital. Um, Amy would be 62 um, at that time, okay? So at least two of her siblings, you know, that we know about out of the 10 children um, ended up in um, mental hospitals. And, you know, I've kind of been reading a little bit about mental hospitals. And mental hospitals back around 1900 um, were not what they are now. You know, the technologies and the advancements were there. And so I'm not going to speak a lot about that because I don't know a lot about that. <laughs> that doesn't stop me from talking about anything else. So maybe I should. Maybe I should do a whole podcast about that since I know nothing about it really. But I know that they did shock treatments and I don't know when they stopped doing like the lobotomy stuff. But uh, that would be interesting. Maybe I'll look into that or just talk about it ignorantly like I do so much on this podcast. All right, so that's a side note. She had two siblings. <clears throat> Excuse me. I believe I will take a sip of my beverage. Got to keep a water bottle. All right, so <clears throat> let's move along and kind of jump back a little bit. All right, so... Um, Amy married this man named James Archer in 1896 at the age of 23. So Amy was 23 when she married 
this guy, James Archer, right? And if you look at pictures of Amy Archer, um, Amy Archer Gilligan, but at this time she married James Archer, so she was um, Amy Archer. She was an attractive young lady, you know, for the time. Usually, I don't know, like when I see pictures um, from back then, there's something different about those people. I don't know what it is. I don't know if, you know, as a human race, the look kind of changes. I know the hairstyles change and the, the clothes change, but there's just this look. And maybe, maybe, I don't know what. I don't know what it is. But, you know, people back then, just when you see old pictures, it's just like, man, they be looking funny. But, uh... But Amy was an attractive lady. If There's at least one picture of her when she was a young lady. And she was an attractive lady. So she married this guy, James Archer, which that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Amy Archer was hot when she was young. But, um, but anyway, she got married at the age of 23 in 1896. All right. So in 1898, um, this is two years after they were married, they have a daughter named Mary, all right? And so um, James and Amy have a daughter, and they name her Mary Archer, okay? And that's in 1898. In 1901, James, Amy, and their daughter Mary Archer move into the home of an elderly man, John D. Seymour, in Newington, Connecticut. They agreed to care for him in exchange for room and board. All right, so what kind of happened here is... um. They moved in this old dude's house. And, I mean, he probably needed care. I don't know if he was, like, partially disabled or what. Um, that's something that's cool about these old cases, you know, that you read about, is it leaves so much to the imagination. You know, things that happen now, you have every detail. You have details today that you don't even want. You know, like, irrelevant details. You know, that, that are so easily accessible. Um, but you kind of have to dig um, when you look at these old cases. And it kind of leaves a lot to the imagination. And it's kind of more creepy to me, you know, that way. So anyway, they move into this guy's house, John D. Seymour. And they're like, all right, if we can live here for free, um, if we can stay in your crib for free, then we will help care for you. And I think that it was probably an agreement with John D. Seymour and his um, family. So um, even though his family didn't live there, they probably had to make arrangements with his family. I mean, I'm sure, um, you know, Seymour's kids were like, yeah, that's cool, Dad. All right, so what happened is three years later in 1904... Um, John D. Seymour died, okay? And his heirs, his heirs turned his residence into a boarding house for elderly people. James and Amy cared for the residents, okay? And the name of the house was Sister Amy's Home for the Elderly, okay? And so, you know, this dude died that they were staying with in exchange for room and board. Theirs were like, I mean, they must have been on good terms. They must have been on good terms with uh, Amy and James because uh, they were like, yeah, dude, we want to turn our dad's house into a boarding, boarding house for, like, old people. 
and y'all can care for them. And you can even call it, you know, Sister Amy's Home for the Elderly. So, you know, evidently they were on pretty good terms with um, Seymour's family. All right, so that was in 1904 um, when Seymour died and they did that. All right, in 1907, three years later, um, Seymour's heirs wanted to sell the house. Um, so the archers moved to Windsor, Connecticut and purchased a house of their own. Okay, so they left the, that house behind and um, moved and purchased their own house. All right, and they named this house the Archer Home for the Elderly and Infirmed. Infirmed. And uh, so that's what they did. They kind of carried on and kept doing what they were doing except in a home of their own. All right, so um, in 1910... That was when they moved. That was in 1907. Three years later, in 1910, James Archer died of what was thought to be natural causes. That was the that was his cause of death. It was um, determined to be natural causes. Um, it there's a name for the disease that he supposedly died of, um, but what it boiled down to was kidney disease. You know, that is the Glenn thing stuff term that I'll use. His kidneys was diseased. And that's what he died of. And it was assumed that it was natural causes in 1910. Okay, what is interesting is I talked about Bell Gunnis um, a few podcasts ago and how Bell Gunnis loved her some insurance money. Loved that money. Loved that money. All right, <clears throat> so what's interesting about this is Amy had taken out an insurance policy on James a few weeks prior to his death. All right, so that sends up red flags right there to us. In modern day world times, we're just like, yeah, that sums up with that. All right, and so what this did was this insurance policy, um, you know, when it paid her, this enabled her to continue operations at the Archer home. All right, so she's just like, I'm just trying to hustle. I'm just trying to hustle, baby. Okay, <clears throat> so that was in 1910. In 1913, Amy married Michael W. Gilligan, a wealthy widower. All right, and so that is, uh, that just reminds you of Balgonis, you know. She just, I ain't even saying she's a gold digger. <laughs> but she is me messing with a wealthy widower. All right, and see, Michael W. Gilligan had expressed um, interest in investing um, in in the Archer home, right? And um, so what happened then is that was 1913. Michael died. Michael W. Gilligan married Amy, and he died in February of 1914, okay? Cause of death, severe indigestion right there's a term for it i'm just telling you what it really is you don't need the fancy stuff you don't need the fancy talk that's why you come here so it was like severe indigestion he didn't take his nexium he didn't have no tums he just died he is dead he is no more all right so amy was the sole heir of all of michael's estate all right that is pretty interesting you know, that she was married, I think, less than a year to this wealthy guy. And he had grown children. And um, 
she just got all of his stuff, right? She took his stuff. All right, now, here's a fact about the Archer home. From 1907 to 1917, there were 60 deaths in the home, all right? So in a 10-year span, there were 60 deaths, okay? That is a lot of people dying. You know, I know that you're running a boarding house for the elderly. You can Google a picture of this house. It's not a huge house. It's not like... I don't know. It's not huge. It's not like this huge nursing home. It's like this lady was running this place. And I mean, it's like a two-story house. And 60 people died in it. You know, so if you just average that out, what, in 10 years, that's six people dying a year? You know, and at first there probably weren't that many people dying. Um, so... <clears throat> I didn't see any record that really broke down how many died per year, but the impression that I got from my limited research is I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to try to mislead you, just what I gathered was that the deaths, like the death toll went up as the time went by, you know, which is sketch. So, um, relatives of the residents began to grow suspicious due to the large number of deaths in the Archer home. You know, and who wouldn't? If you had people there, you know, or if you had people that were, like, kind of healthy, that stay there, like parents or grandparents or whatever, and you were like, yeah, they dead, and that person's dead, and everyone's dead, you would be like, dang, you know, that's crazy. All right, so let's see. Okay, here, I have notes, see? I forgot that I even wrote this down. 12 people died between 1907 and 1910. 48 died between 1911 and 1916. Okay? So in five years, 48 people died. All right? All right. There was this dude named Franklin R. Andrews. See <laughs> how professional I am. There was this dude, see? There was like this dude, man. There was this dude named Franklin R. Andrews who was a resident who died during this period. He was a healthy man, right? He was healthy. He was totally healthy, all right? And on May 29th, 1914, he was working in the garden around the house and just fell, like, ex and became extremely ill. He just became, like, it was, like, quick. He became extremely ill. He died that evening, all right? Now, the cause of death um, was a gastric ulcer, all right? So, this is Franklin R. Andrews. Cause of death, just fell ill out of nowhere, gastric ulcer, all right? Franklin R. Andrews had a sister, Nellie, who inherited his personal belongings and found Franklin's accounts in paperwork where Amy pressured Franklin for money. It was discovered that clients at the Archer house would die after giving Amy large amounts of money, you know, and a lot of those amounts would round, I mean, just be around $1,000, right? That's what I read. So Franklin's accounts, his sister was going through his paperwork and was like, man, this lady's hitting my, was hitting my brother up for money, you know, and, and you know, it's just kind of, it's just kind of weird that, that, that the other clients in the house would die after giving Amy large amounts of money. And so that's just, that is sketchy, you know, that would raise a couple of eyebrows. 
unless you're a lady and you paint your eyebrows on and they're already on crooked, then they're already raised. You know, wouldn't that be funny? I thought it would be cool not to have eyebrows and just paint on my eyebrows every day however kind of a mood I wanted people to think I was in that day. Wouldn't that be hilarious? <laughs> like you could be like raise one up real high. Some people would be like, what? And you'd be like, what? <laughs> All right, just a side note. Anyway, that has nothing to do with nothing, eyebrows. All right, so what Nellie did, what Franklin Andrew, this guy that died in the Archer home, what she did was she reported the suspicious activity to the district attorney, the local district attorney. All right, he did not take immediate action. You know, he's like, you're just abroad. What do you know, see? You don't know what you're talking about, see? No, I don't know if that's how he was or not, but... Yeah, I just kind of, that's what I thought when I read, yeah, that's what I thought when I read it because it was like back in the day and you're like saying, look at these people are all dying. My brother just was healthy and he just died and here is paperwork where, you know, this lady, Amy Archer Gilligan is hitting my bro up for money and he's just dead. What's up with that and the other people? And so how could you not look into that? You know, how could you not? All right, so what she did when the district attorney did not take immediate action, Nellie went to the Hartford Current, a local newspaper, okay? And on May 9th, 1916, okay, they published, and I guess this is around-ish two years after her brother had died, um, that this article came out and this was the first of several articles, right? Newspaper articles about the Archer house. Um, they published a story calling the Archer house, the murder factory. Now that is crazy. Like I went back and I saw a copy of this newspaper and it's just crazy, man. The murder factory. And, um, so a few months later, a serious police investigation began. Right. So I guess they're like, dang, maybe there's something to this. Right. All right. The investigation into this took about one year. The bodies during the investigation, the bodies of Gilligan, which is Amy's husband, Andrews, the guy that died, and three other clients that lived in the Archer house were exhumed. So five people were exhumed in all. Her husband, this old dude that was kind of relatively healthy and just killed over, and three other clients, you know, were exhumed and dug up. And it was determined that they all died of poisoning, arsenic or strychnine, right? So this is something that I read, um, but I did not write down because I don't know how true this is. Um... You know, and I don't know enough about embalming the way that they embalm. And I especially don't know about the way that they embalmed back then. But what, um, in one source that I read, is said that arsenic was commonly used in the embalming process back in the day. And... A lot of times that would slip by the person that was doing the autopsy, like looking for the cause of death, like the medical examiner or doctor, because um, so if they got poisoned with arsenic, they wouldn't catch it because a lot of time times embalming was done prior to 
the medical people checking them out, right? That's what I read, and that's what said what that was an explanation why she got away with it for so long. But like I said, I don't know how true that is. If that is true, that's pretty slick. You know, she's pretty slick right there with that, with the Austin. All right. Local market owners testified that Amy had been purchasing large amounts of arsenic. She claimed that she was trying to kill rats. Okay. And so local market owners were like snitches. All right. A look at Gilligan's will by the authorities determined Amy had forged the document. Right. So this wealthy widower that she married and then he just like killed over it was like in her handwriting, is what it said. That, that she was like, leave everything to Amy. Signed Amy. I mean, signed my husband, right? All right, so once this all came out and the police were like, yo, yo, she's killing people, man. So what happened was Amy Archer was arrested and charged with five counts of murder. Her lawyer was Saul Goodman. <laughs> no, better call Saul, Amy Archer. Amy Archer Gilligan was arrested. Um, her lawyer somehow got it dropped to a single count um, of murder, and that was for the murder of Franklin Andrews, right? And so she went to trial on June 18, 1917. Amy Archer Gilligan was found guilty and sentenced to death, all right? So... Yeah, that's pretty much it for her, you know, or is it, or shall it be? So she got sentenced to death on June 18, 1917, all right, and so what she did was she appealed, and in 1919 was granted another trial, all right, so she appealed it, and she was granted another tri trial. She, um, Amy Archer Gilligan pleaded, then pleaded insanity, um, Mary Archer, which was her daughter, testified that her mother, Amy, was addicted to morphine, right? And, like, if you see a picture of this lady, when she's young, like I talked about, she was, like, a nice-looking lady. But if you see, like, her mugshot, like, her mugshot, she looks like she was addicted to morphine, like, just look it up. Or maybe I'll throw it up on my Twitter and you can check it out. This lady, I mean, she looks like she's having a rough life. She's having a rough go at it. Have you had a rough go at it? So, um, Amy was found guilty of second-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. Okay. And that was in 1919. In 1924, which is five years later, um, she was transferred to a mental hospital in Middleton, Middletown, where she remained until her death on April 23rd, 1962. All right. And so, you know, she, they said it was like she was temporarily insane or she was like they determined that she was temporarily insane but from 1924 to 1962 she went to a mental hospital and that must have been better that must have been a better option for her back then i guess that i don't know i guess that she preferred that or she was like legit crazy because she did have two other siblings that um ended up in mental hospitals 
So that is the story of Amy Archer Gilligan. That's like the cliff notes. I didn't go into too much detail. I just wanted to tell you guys about her because I thought that it was an interesting story. And I hope that you found it interesting too. And I hope that it wasn't boring. But anyway, guys, thank you for listening to my podcast. This has been fun. This has been a fun week for me. It's been a fun podcast to do. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the support. To all my listeners, to all the people that have left me reviews, thank you. You are good. Fine people. Fine, fine, fine is what you is. So if you want to hear this podcast, I'm available on all the different podcasts and platforms. So whichever one you're into, which is probably what you're doing anyway, but you can find me wherever you want to find me pretty much. I don't think I'm on SoundCloud. I don't think I'm on there yet, Um, but pretty much everywhere else. Um, If you would, on iTunes, leave me a review. It doesn't have to be a five-star review. It can be a one-star review. You can be like, you suck, and I hate you. (coughs) Excuse me. And I give you one star because I hate you so bad, and you rob me of this hour. (laughs) but I hope that you don't I hope that you like my podcast I hope you come back for seconds and I hope you double dip that chip is what I hope that you do Um, but if you would leave me a review on iTunes and let me know how I'm doing that helps bump me up in the whole search results so people can find this podcast right? right because that's what we want people so if you want to follow me on Twitter I'm on there. Uh, you can follow me at Glenn Think Stuff. I'll follow you back. We can chit chat about Siamese twins that kill people. And it will be fun. It will be fun. You can email me stuff. If you want me to talk about a certain subject, which I've done several times, you can email me the topic to glennthinkstuff at yahoo.com. Glennthinkstuff at yahoo.com. And I'll think about the thing which you say with your typey words, and I'll talk about it, which will be totally radical. But thank you guys for all the lessons. Thank you for the downloads. It really means a lot to me because this is fun, and I really enjoy doing this every week. I look forward to doing this. This is like my creative outlet where I create things, words, and I say them, and then I put them onto my computer and then I just say okay here it is world here it is world of ears and thank you guys for listening to me it means a lot and I hope you have an awesome rest of your weekend if this comes out and if it is Monday by the time this hits I hope that you have a great week and I'll talk to you guys later let me know what you think about the conjoined twins because that's just weird I'm sorry. I have a tick on my throat at the end of the podcast. I'm going to get to the end. (laughs) But be good to each other. Do not pee in your drawer. Peace.